You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. to all of our glorious listeners and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show for another Sunday. My name is Chloe Foster and I am pushing the Gardening Show wheelbarrow towards a beautiful spring and a beautiful Sunday in Melbourne. On the barrow with me today is a very well-respected group of horticulturalists. A warm welcome to Penny Woodward, author and edible plant expert. Hi Chloe, hi listeners, (laughs) lovely to be here. Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. Morning, Chloe. Morning, all the gardening listeners. And Stephen Wells, Gardens Coordinator, Horticultural Therapist and Nurse at Austin Health. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning to you and everyone else as well. Thank you all for joining me this morning. It was not pitch black when I drove in. (laughs) It was when I got up. It would have when you got up, Penny. (laughs) You had a bit further to come. Look, the stars were amazing because it was so dark. And the stars were just so bright. So, you know, you get up thinking, oh, God, I don't want to do this. But then you walk outside (laughs) and you think, oh, God, I'm so lucky and I'm so glad that I got up. So that was a lovely start to the day. And then watching the sunrise as I was driving up and it was just glorious. The colours were amazing. And patches of fog. and Yes. (laughs) Just was good. (laughs) Karen and Stephen, I don't think you guys have come as far as Penny this morning. No, no, I was up. Uh, the alarm went off when it was dark, but I didn't get that experience this morning, but um does sound rather beautiful. Yes. It sounds nice, but no, I didn't see it. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> Just take it around and drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very good, very good. Uh, I was up well before my alarm, but that usually happens on a 3CR morning. <laughs> um, Penny, we are talking about... Um, Organic Gardener magazine before we are on air this morning. Tell me about, let's get straight into it. Tell us about the new issue that's. Oh, okay. Out. I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah. it's all right. That's fine. <laughs> so I thought we were doing other things first. But Sorry. No, no. I'm happy to talk about it. Well, uh, the current issue is a really interesting one, I think. It sort of came together in an odd way, so, as Organic Gardener so often does. Someone suggests an article and then we suddenly realise that, oh, yeah, that we might be able to put a theme around that because there was an article that I had been intending to write for a while and and then we realised that my, um, 
we had a native seed one raising plants from seed. And so it all came together in looking at thrifty gardening. So ways that you can still garden but lower the expense. Um, so that's effectively what this issue is. And, and um, obviously fabulous other articles about growing was a really good one from Karen about beans, growing beans. Well done, Karen. Which are such important <laughs> plants and are, and are actually really thrifty plants because they're not a just harvest once and that's it plant. You go on harvesting them right through the summer mm. so that you harvest them for months and months, the same as tomatoes. And you know, So you, when you're planting, if you've got limited space, think about the ones that you're going to be able to harvest over and over again. So that's a really good starting point. Um, and one of those is lettuces, so leafy lettuces. I mean, this whole stupid thing about iceberg lettuces, oh. why would you buy an iceberg lettuce? They don't have any flavour. Amen. All these other lettuces, fabulous red-leafed, yellow-leafed, gorgeous leafy lettuces that um, you can harvest again over and over and over again. So, you know, those are, those are just a couple of the tips. Paul West has a really interesting article about what it costs you to garden and is it, does it cost more to garden than it does to go and buy your products? Mm. And um, he actually worked out, I'm going to need to put my yeah, glasses on. Yeah, I'd be interested on. to read that because to, sometimes you think, okay, you buy a two ninety five, three ninety five punnet of pumpkins or zucchinis or something. So maybe zucchinis aren't cheaper to grow. So over, can I just say, over okay. 12 months... And this includes um, actually stocking yourself up with the right tools. So this is a beginner gardener. Buying all new things like seedlings. Mm. Um, if you compare that with the cost of um, buying 52 weeks of fruit and veg, because we talk about fruit as well, you actually save just under $3,000 by growing your own. There you go. So, you know, it is really worth it. Mm. Um, home food growers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it makes a few assumptions and, and you don't, your crop doesn't always work out being quite as good mm. as you think it's going to be and you may lose some plants and all that sort of stuff. But it is absolutely worth growing your own your own vit, fruit and veggies. So oh, That's really interesting. I'm glad he's done some math and that because I do think, like, oh, my goodness, I've got, okay, so zucchinis, are, they're a cheap crop yeah. to grow. Spring onions are pretty cheap. Yeah, pumpkins. I don't know what what others you think, um, but some of the ones when they fail, you think, oh, was that really worth it? Growing it the is. seed, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm preparing a class for yes. for um, SGA coming up in the future, or in the next month or two. About that, that's what they asked me to teach. Yeah. I said, oh, I can teach about these other things. They said, oh, can you do one about growing how to save, mo- yeah, how yeah. to save money by growing food specifically? Yep. So I'm concentrating on, well, look, you know, you really need to reduce the, the cost so you can, you can make fertilisers yourself. Mm. You can um, grow your own seedlings and, and choose plants that, that exactly like penny has mm. been saying, that you can harvest over a really long period of time, like silver beet or five-coloured chard and kales, you know, Melbourne's favourite vegetable. <laughs> you know, like you, you've got to grow things like that. You, you don't want to grow things that are just, oh, there it goes, cut, it's and gone. If you're growing broccoli, grow sprouting broccoli. Oh. Don't grow a broccoli that just produces mm. one head. Mm. And the other thing is eating Absolutely. the whole plant. So just because you have a broccoli plant doesn't mean you can't eat the leaves. Or feed them to your or chickens. Or feed them to your yeah. chickens. Or, but you can eat them as well and you can put them in stir fries. And, you know, depending on what you're growing, you can often use the whole plant radishes you can you can eat the bulb you can eat the leaves and you can eat the seeds um so you know there's a whole range of different ways that Mm. you can 
Um, and if you want to grow new plants, why not take cuttings from your neighbours? I'd suggest you ask their permission yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> what, <laughs> the neighbourhood nursery isn't the way to go. <laughs> well, absolutely. But if you're, if you're trying to... Yeah, no. <laughs> Stephen's suggesting just helping yourself. Um, I think that's what he means yeah, by his hand signals. Yes, of course. Um, but, yeah, look, it's, think about the fact that your neighbours have plants and, and maybe they'd be happy to dig up their clump of rhubarb and give you a bit of it at the right time of year or or they're happy for you to take cuttings from their lavender and then now's the right time to do tip cuttings of all those herbs, of rosemary and sage and thyme and um, you can grow a whole heap of plants just from cuttings so you don't have to go and buy them. So, I, look, I'm a huge supporter of local nurseries and I think they, they are really important. So do go to your local nursery and buy something as well, but mm. you don't have to spend a lot of money to fill your garden with good plants. No, so. and, it, yeah, especially yeah, propagation is so simple. And, Karen, when are you doing that seed growing workshop? Uh, that, that one's not – it's not seed. It's sort of just general um, follow these guidelines to make sure you have cheaper food growing and try to, you know, specifically to save money growing food. That one is actually it's coming up in September. I think it's September. If you go on the SGA website, I think they've just created the link for it. So Sustainable Gardening Australia website. I think it's on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can look it up on my um, yeah. calendar and get back to you. But yeah, yeah. it's 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 early. It's mid September. Yeah, and anything that's Sustainable Gardening Australia run is going to be good. Yeah, they no do. Pressure. They, they do very <laughs> they do very good workshops. Yeah. 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 Stephen, what are some of the projects that you've been running out at Austin Health recently? Um, I've been doing quite a few different ones of late. We've um, been doing some staff wellbeing sessions. Um, so I, in my role as a horticultural therapist um, and as a nurse, I bring a few different um, skills to that opportunity. So back in um, early 2020 when we were first in the pandemic and we were doing some staff wellbeing sessions, um, so they were specifically about getting staff, and they were the graduate nurses who were starting their careers in the, you know, in the, oh. in the very beginnings of the, this pandemic thing that we've never really experienced in our current times. It would be so challenging. For so them. they were getting the the nurse educator was um, quite keen to support them in different ways. So they uh, came along to me. Um, didn't know who Stephen was, um, but. I was able to sit with them and catch up with them with the clinical background, the nursing, the horticultural therapy and the gardens creating uh, roles that I do and just connect with them, connect them with the garden, um, talk with them about some of the stresses of the time and then work with them and do a garden session um, of potting up a plant that they could take home, that they could nurture, they could look after, but also gift them with some other gifts as well. Mm. So it's a real support session Mm. Um, which was great and we we got to the stage where we actually had some funding from the Department of Health with that. Uh, Unfortunately the the reason we had to put it on hold and we still have at the moment um, which is a shame because the reason we want to support our staff with it is the COVID impacts Mm. and yet that's the reason why we can't meet and do face-to-face sessions because spacing and you know not Mm. wanting to Mm. increase the risk which is perfectly Mm. honest um, and necessary. But around, so that's on hold. Mm. But aside from that, we've also been able to do some new garden projects. Um, to, there's one that we've done outside the spinal rehab ward, um, 
one side of the ward we revegetated and planted up and gardened, uh, created a nice garden space three years ago. On the other side of the ward we've been over the last couple of years working away at getting that um, planted up as well which is great. Our spinal um, rehab patients can be in the hospital for quite a few months, um, even up to a year for some. So it's creating therapeutic environments um, and better outlooks from their bedrooms, mm. um, particularly in this situation because for some they're on bed rest for quite a while or um, need to be in their beds in their bedrooms for a while. So it's really about creating that visual connection to the outside space and bringing some moment of respite enjoy and make it look less like a hospital basically yeah. That's, i have a bit of a mantra of why do hospitals need to look like hospitals and what are we doing <laughs> about changing that and i think for me this is my little way of being able to connect in with that push of trying to change the environment that we we care for our patients and provide care for our patients are you involved in the designing of these projects or the plant selection um a bit of both actually yep. so some of the projects, so my role is a bit diverse, so some projects that require a lot of landscaping, mm. um, we will outsource and I'm guiding it and overseeing it. Yeah. So we'll get someone in to do design work and then the construction. I tend to do the planting because that's one of the favourite bits. Yeah. Um, but there are times when I'm also guiding and directing the design. So we'll do consumer engagement meet with patients, some of, their, um, rel some of their relatives or f visitors and staff as well and get their input for spaces. So mm. we, it's, it's consumer-driven. Um, and then we then get someone in to construct, for example, and then I'll then jump in and do the planting at the end. Um, so a bit of a mixture. Mm. And the programs that you run with patients, so we're talking, Penny was mentioning about you know growing herbs from cuttings and other plants from cuttings. Is that some of the, some of the activities that you do in the patient programs um in so we've got a couple of programs um the one that i do is just one day a week um i tend not to do a lot of those types of cuttings just because of the practicality of uh, looking after them mm. the rest of the week mm -hmm. um so i tend to use succulents predominantly but also there are times of the year when i might use and do the soft um soft wood cuttings yeah we do have another program, though, one of our um, staff who works within the spinal rehab um, area there does an um, accessible kitchen garden uh, program. So he's working with um, clients there that um, is all about edibles, um, and then that produce is used in the kitchen program that he's doing the cooking sessions with patients. Oh, fantastic. So that's part of this new spinal rehab project that we've just finished. So we've just got some new raised beds in and some really specific taps and tap stands for some of the patients that are in different wheelchair heights and, mm. and capacity with hand control and a lot of raised beds um, and a few different varieties of raised beds so that they then have an idea of what is out there product-wise but also the concept of them and you know what they might adapt for themselves and when they're going home because um, often about the rehab setting is supporting people in the setting but also then preparing them for when they're going home and what mm. the environment's like and what supports they might need so yeah it's really exciting so that's normally it's full of edibles mm. um but at the moment it's just that transition stage of he's just put all the, the potting mix in they've got the good mix in to do these raised beds and he's about to launch into the the, the herbs and the edibles ready mm. for spring and summer. So it's a really exciting time. Uh, yeah, that's a fantastic program. So yes, that's Anton that does that one. He's um, a very passionate 
um, plant person as well. So. Yeah, good. Um, How many are part of the, the Hort Therapy group at Austin? In the sense of staffing? That you work with, yeah, staffing. Um, so technically there's, so Anton, his role is as an allied health assistant. Yep. So not, that's part of his role, so not defined by his role. So he does a whole lot of different things working with people. So other than that, there's just myself and another lady, Sue, who um, does a program with um, some clients with long-term brain um, disorders. Yeah, okay. So there's just the two of us yeah. based at the uh, Talbot that have the Hort Therapy roles. Um, but it's exciting. It's certainly made a positive difference to mm. some of the clients we work with and the flow-on for them and their families. Yep. Mm, fantastic. No, I'm absolutely amazed by the programs that you do, and it's incredibly interesting. We'll, we'll talk about it more yeah. later on in the show. Um, I think we'll get to some community announcements. I did last time I was hosting. I put the call out to local groups to say, "Hey, give us your community announcements." And people haven't stopped. I've got quite a few today to get through. Um, so let's go. Now, uh, the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society has their spring show um, at their society hall in Sassafras. It's on the third and the fourth of September, which is a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Encouraging Women in Horticulture is hosting Greening Our City Gardens for High Density Living on Friday the 30th of September. If you're interested in uh, signing up for that, send an email to events at ewha.com.au. The Orchid Society's Council of Victoria is hosting its 28th annual Orchid Spectacular on the 26th to the 28th of August, which is this weekend. You've still got today to go down at KCC Park in Skye. It's running from 9 till 4. If you want more details, have a look at their website. It's www.oscvov.asn.au. There's a lot of letters. I'm going to say that again. OSCOV.ASN.AU. If you type in Orchid Society's Council of Victoria into a Google search, I'm sure it will come up. Um, Cultivating Communities is hosting um, a Gardening Together Again program with the city of Whittlesea. Uh, it involves community gardeners in online and face-to-face workshops to help you re-engage back into your gardening community as we're all coming out of the pandemic again. Uh, have a look, if, uh, have a, do a Google search on Gardening Together Again if you want more details. Um, Open Gardens Victoria are also up and running, which is fantastic. This weekend, if you're looking for something to do today, Stephen Ryan's Open Garden up at Macedon. Um, is is going to be open today. Uh, we've got two others open on the third and fourth of September, which is in this no next weekend. I was going to say two weeks. It's next weekend, the third and fourth of September. Um, Mullum Waters in Donvale is a really large um, Australian native garden and indigenous using indigenous plants and habitat. That's thirteen Connors Court, Donvale. The other one is the is Beverly Hanson's Garden on 104 Webb Street, Warrandyte. So you can do a double double whammy with these two open gardens. Donvale and Warrandyte are very close to each other. The Hanson Garden is a 10-acre Australian native bush block. Um, Beverly, in the early days, worked alongside Alice Stones uh, to do a lot of the original landscape landscaping layout. <clears throat> 
Now, for our lucky listeners who have tuned in nice and early, we have a garden entry double pass to give away for both of these gardens. So give us a call on 94190155 if you want to pick up a double pass for Mullum Waters or a double pass for the Hanson Garden. Speak to Michaela or AB on the phone and they will give you an email address so that you can claim those tickets. So give us a call right now on 94190155 if you would like a double pass for the OGV Gardens. Uh, the Art Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria in September are hosting a free exhibition with live music and, perfor- and other performances which explore our feelings around climate change and that's running all through September. The 8th and 9th of October is the 17th Australian Herb Society Conference at Burnley Campus. Uh, there are a number of people speaking at the conference, and Penny, I believe your name is on there. Oh, look, uh, yes, absolutely. I'm actually speaking twice, so on the Saturday and the Sunday, two separate topics. Yep. Um, but I'm I'm actually the patron of the Herb Society of Victoria. Um, I didn't we have, know that. We haven't quite worked out what a patron does between us. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting so, ribbons, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, yes. Anyway, I feel very I feel very um, honoured to be the patron, but. Um, so I'll be there both days, and um, there are some there are some really good speakers. I was just trying to find my list of who the <laughs> the other speakers I have a, are. I have a couple. Greg Moore is yes. going to speak, who's been teaching at he, Burnley for a number of yes, years. Yes, he's and he's a terrific speaker. Yeah, um, he's a great speaker. Mm. Yeah, he is. He he really is. Uh, Chris Williams, who comes on our show, yeah, on the gardening Another show, fantastic speaker. Yeah, yep. um, Clive Larkman will be there too. Yes, he's talking about herbs, 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 <laughs> which is very clot. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like him. <laughs> so that's on the eighth and 9th of October. If you want well, more information yeah. on that. Um, Put Australian Herb Society Conference into a Google search and you'll find more information on it. Can I just add a couple of things? Please. There's also someone talking about um, um, uh, uh, herbs with First Nations American people, oh, wow. which I think will be really interesting. Absolutely. And I, I apologise, I've just forgotten his name. But okay. um, And there's a couple of workshops. There's a tour of the Burnley Gardens but the really exciting thing is they've just got some sponsorship after having launched everything without sponsorship and um, they've halved the price. So that um, if you are going for one day, general tickets are only $60 and for two days it's only $110 and that includes morning and afternoon tea and lunch on both days. Oh, that's fantastic. And a show bag oh, oh, with a whole lot of bits and pieces in Brilliant. it. So, I love a show bag. Um, and very, very and if, you're, if you're a yeah. Herb Society member, um, it's only $50 for one day and $90 for both days and, again, including all the, all the food. Um, and with the general ticket, you also get a one-year membership of the Herb Society of Victoria. Wow. So, um, which is worth, I'm not sure, valued at $26. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's it, I think it's going to be a really good weekend. I know they've tried to put it on. This mm. is the third year in a row that they've tried to put it on. Yeah. It would be fantastic if they got a really good turn up. And I, I think it'll be so often with conferences like this, you... It's often the conversations that you have with people that are the really important part. You know, the speakers are, are great and you do learn new things, but then when you get to ask questions and actually mm. speak to people, um, it, it, it is that is where you learn 
a lot. So um, yeah, and, I would and, encourage anyone who has an interest more generally in herbs yeah, to come along. Price-wise too, that's incredibly Oh, it's usually very, conferences are hundreds and hundreds yeah, of dollars yeah. and you have to take out a micro loan for yeah, it. Yes. That is fantastic yeah. that they have, yeah. have been able to be sponsored. So Yes. Um, so that's I think I think it's great. And I should just say I'm talking about herbs for cooking, medicine and pleasure on the first day and the second day I'm talking about herbs for um pest repellent plants and other organic solutions. Okay. So using herbs and other things in the garden for for pests. Lovely. So, thank yeah. you. 8th and 9th of October is the Australian Herb Society Conference. Uh, I've got a couple more. We're getting there. Uh, the 1st and 2nd of October is the Garden Lovers Fair in Macedon. The 15th and 16th of October is the Australian Plant Society's FJC Rogers Seminar. This year it is focused, it is called Fabulous Peas and focused on the Faboidiae subfamily. They've got seminars, lectures, um, some art exhibitions and tours of public and private gardens. It's being held at the York on Lilydale this year, which is very local to Melbourne. So uh, pop FJC Rogers seminar or Fabulous Peas into a Google search if you would like more information. The 24th and 28th of October is the Botanic Gardens Guides Conference at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. And the coming up in November, I am announcing well ahead of time, is the fifth on the fifth and sixth is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. So it's the spring fair. <laughs> Can Karen and I butt in there? Yes, go. I'm done with community because announcements. Because I have one too. Are you going to be at the spring fair too? No. Oh, Karen yeah. and I are both at the spring fair. Mm-hmm. Together. So together. We're running a stand together and we're. Um, I'm talking about tomatoes on both days. Good. And Karen is talking about... I think it's a mixture of things, but um, I was leaning towards native edible herbs. I think um, that I think that's what Ian. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of native edibles. <laughs> Something interesting, anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I want to add another conference in that is here in Melbourne as well. It's the Therapeutic Horticulture Australia's annual conference. Um, it's running. The conference day is the first of. Um, October and their tours are running on the two days prior to that so jump on their website same as what Penny was saying um, as an organization they've been wanting they've been doing online for the mm. last couple of years and mm. this is the first time one in three years mm. um, conferences and so two things there conferences are brilliant things because of exactly what Penny said speakers are great but the face-to-face interaction comments conversations oh, you need to speak to this person. Oh, mm. you're doing this program. Oh, you need mm. to go and chat with yep. that person. Can I introduce? Those kind of things are what make conferences and networking opportunities like that. But also I'd like to acknowledge Burnley there. This is it's at Burnley campus again. So same as the Herb Conference. They're brilliant um, at supporting mm. things mm. like these conferences and webinars and, mm. or not necessarily webinars, but conferences and workshops yeah. um, as a venue um, and as an organisation. So I just want to acknowledge them uh, in their support of mm. uh, events like this as well. So um, two great conferences at Burnley in the, in the coming months, so yeah, it's great. fantastic. That's fantastic. Karen, let's talk a little bit more about bush foods in a moment. I'm just going to remind people you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me in the studio I have Penny Woodward, uh, author and edible plant expert, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design, and Stephen Wells, horticultural therapist and nurse at Austin Health. 
Uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines too. If you want to chat to us on air today, the number is 94190155 and the Open Gardens Victoria Double Pass tickets are both gone. Congratulations to those listeners. Uh, if you want to join in the conversation via our text line, the number is 0488 809855. For those that uh, might have slept in or catch up on the podcast later on for whatever reason, you can send us an email if you have any questions, gardening at 3cr.org.au. And the gardening show is on social media. We are the 3CR Gardening Show on Facebook and Instagram as well, where we share uh, the photos of the plants that we talk about each week and some other events and local community things that are going on. So give us a call if you want to speak to any of our guests on today, 94190155. Karen. Hello, <laughs> the bush foods um, interpretive signs that you've been working on. <clears throat> oh yes, I'll just quickly also confirm that the the date for the Sustainable Gardening Australia Thrifty Home Food Growing class is the tw- Monday the twelfth of September at six pm. So Thank they you. can just look that up on their website and look for that. Yep. Um, yeah. So this is something that because of over the years putting in lots of gardens. Uh, interpretive gardens and sometimes they would be larger and funded by bigger grants and so I saw what beautiful signs could be created but I also saw how out of reach they were for smaller groups or smaller organisations or schools and uh, and then I worked on projects where they would say at the end, oh, we've run out of money, the budget's gone for the signs. Mm. Then I'd go back and see, you know, this is, this is talking going over 15 years, going back to the garden to have a look at it and take photos and see how it's going and then finding all these rare and unusual plants that I'd taken weeks or months to find for them, ripped out and thrown on the ground because they had a parent working bee and and oh, all this sort of no. thing. So, oh, I've seen plants sprayed out, um, oh. you know, so <clears throat> because no one knew what they were. I'm so, devastated for Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still, you know, I still feel the pain. So, oh. you know, um, and any plant lover does mm. and mm. so I can still see those little plants on the ground poor little things going oh help <laughs> <laughs> it's too late to rescue me I've died um, so I've really wanted to create signs that were um, within the budget of of groups and so I've I've um, got I've been developing these signs with photos like this little chocolate lily that's at my parents land I took that a couple of years ago I took the coast banksia picture on a trip to New South Wales. So the idea is that they're, they've got a colour photo. Mm. That's a, it's a core flute sign. They're, so they're, they're also, for anyone who's worried, the core flute is recyclable and the um, place I get them printed out takes, takes it back for recycling. As he says, okay. it doesn't really help him in any way, but he just feels like he takes back all the election posters and things like that and he recycles those, right. which is just really lovely. Yeah. The core flute's also made in Australia. The whole thing is designed and made within Victoria um, even the metal ones I have as well. I didn't bother bringing them in because they're kind of clunky and loud. But, <laughs> but they're more for um, kind of situations where you may have vandalism, let's say. But these ones are the ones that are usually used and they're just screwed onto little timber stakes. So yeah. they're just something that schools mm. and groups can use. So you've got your your common name. I've, I've led with the common name because these are for people. They're, they're interpretive. So they're yeah. for pe- visitors to a garden who don't know what the plants are. So they've got their botan- they've got their common name, and then they've got their botanical name, 
which is, of course, you know, as all gardeners know and horticulturalists know, extremely important. Mm. Sometimes there might be the reference to another one if there's one that you think, oh, people might not realise that there's been a name change, so let's just go with both of them for the moment. Yeah. And then some simple cultivation notes and the uses, because I'm all about, like, oh, well, I suppose probably like everyone is here today in some way, but about plants being not just ornamental, but how can you use them? Mm. And and um, there's, uh, where's one for Stephen? There's, oh, here we go, here. This native, native oregano, native thyme plant has a lovely little nose symbol and that indicates um, sensory for, for smell. Mm. Brilliant. And so <laughs> I thought I'd better bring one with those. And so it, I've got 10 little symbols that I've had drawn and... And I've kind of gone with that. So I've got some for herbal tea or attracting bees or beneficial insects, a little bit around permaculture with what's useful for chickens to eat, like warrigal greens, companion plants. So I've got two little flowers growing together, indigenous uses, medicinal uses. And sometimes things, these things cross over. The only indigenous use I know is a medicinal use. But they are meant to just be um, an, um, an addition to a garden to allow it to be understood better um, the symbols mean that um, children who can't maybe read all the text, like younger children, still understand what's going on. Yeah, and great. And also um, people who don't have English as a first language. So, mm. um, And then I've gone along and because of the issues of growing native tubers like yam daisies and chocolate lilies, I've uh, made up a little... Um, you know, sleeping plants do not disturb, or for warrigal, <laughs> green, for warrigal greens or purslane where you're letting it reseed and people think, oh, that's been a failure, we have to replant this. But no, actually it's going to, it's going to come up again or it's going to replant itself. So it's that thing of interpreting what, what people don't understand. And then, of course, the whole, I've got a nice botanical art sketch, just introduce, welcoming oh, people lovely. to the garden. And I've now got an, uh, a customisable one too, which... I'm not sure what I did with it. I must have left it in the car. Anyway, so they've been a labour of love. And so after um, being very um, kindly invited to co-write a book with Penny on tomatoes, Tomato No So Grow Feast, if anyone's getting ready to put their tomatoes in and needs extra, <laughs> <coughs> extra information. Comprehensive book on growing tomatoes. Yes, two kilo book about tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I planted uh, my tomato <coughs> seed yesterday. Oh, nice. Really nice pleased time. with myself because I never get them in on time. So. <laughs> well, I've, cleared, well I've, I've cleared a space ready and I've dug my tomato bed and composted okay. it. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I, um, instead of writing another book, I've gone to this, I've done the signs they're instead. They're just so this beautiful, Karen. They are. I, I just I think they're really fabulous. And it, no, I've, I've seen them online, but I haven't seen them. I, I noticed that. Am I wrong in thinking that Choco is not a native Australian? So oh, no, so I've got a range so of kitchen you, garden yeah, ones so as well. Yeah, so you're doing kitchen yeah, garden yeah, as well. Yeah. That's what I've got I, yeah. 59, I just suddenly thought. Oh. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> What's Karen doing here? 59 native food plants yep. so currently. Wow. Yep. And, um, and always sort of adding them in. Mm. So ryeberry got added recently because... Uh, I did a big project for Morton Island. So yep. I'm really, really looking forward to going up and I want them to get them in so they've got an excuse to go up. So yes. Morton, Morton Island is in off Queensland. the get, Oh, yeah. in Queensland. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking it was the one off the yeah. these, so, are, these are great, like size wise. Thank they're, you. Yeah. They're sort of halfway between A5 and A4, so they're a good size. But the thing that I, you know, information is brilliant, but the visual is a mm. big picture. Amen. And yep. as a visual person, I know that you know, that's one of the things I pick up, mm. but also for those that are coming into the garden who aren't garden people, they can easily identify 
oh, yep. that's exactly that plant, rather than yep. a little picture, say, that's brilliant layout, um, to capture people seeing it and mm -hmm. knowing that, uh, identifying that plant equals that sign, and then reading it. So it's fantastic. They're great. Thank you. And, and the highest praises from your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I like is your little symbols are immediately understandable. So yeah. often yep. you look at symbols and think, what on earth are they trying to tell me with that? But I think there's only one on there that I wasn't sure about. What's the crosshatch? That's weaving. Ah, uh, okay. Used for weaving. Okay. What's the one that looks like a T-shirt? Oh, that, oh. That's, that's a, a chef's hat. That's a chef's hat. Makes it edible. It's edible. I'm sorry, Karen. I thought, I thought it might have been bread. I this is hilarious. For bread. Oh, yeah, good. I can see bread in that sign. No, these look fantastic. No, I As can. I said, awesome. there's a lot of, you know, like writing a book. A lot of work mm. goes oh, into huge. putting and the, and a, the something that and someone the... might look at and go, mm. oh, that's a nice little sign. Mm. There's a lot of work that goes oh, into uh, it. Mm. So these mm. have, yeah, they've come up but brilliantly. Funnily enough, I've been trained to be able to write these short pockets of text by writing this plant section in organic garden. I didn't haven't written this one, been this this issue, but I've written so many uh, um, mm. issues of plant and it's just so similar where mm. you, it's actually really hard. The, the smaller the yep. text um, that you have to write, it's harder than being able to blurb as much stuff as you want. Great, yes. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> What's the Good important discipline. information that I need to communicate right now? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I just think the discipline of being able to write small amounts about something, because that happens all the time if you're writing for magazines or, or even in, in books. In books, you sometimes get a bit more leeway because you mm. have a bit more control over it. But um, with magazines, you've, yep. you know. It's really hard because you think, oh, there's so much information Other things I have you want to, to say. And this, I have this yeah. trouble with teaching as well. It's like there's so much information I have to convey. It's like yes. I don't want to condense this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the value of signs in a garden, like I know at the hospital garden I've had, um, this is a good prompt for me because I've had some very basic signs of just nut plant names. But in some sections, if it was a sensory one, it just says smell me or eat me and says what it is. But it's, the signs are significant in regards to how people engage with the garden absolutely because people will walk past a plant mm. and mm. if they're not familiar with plants they'll just see it as a green blur mm. yep um but if there's a sign that says oh i can smell this they'll stop and they'll pick it up and have a sniff and then if they're with someone they'll go oh my goodness here have a mm. have this mm. so to have signage um is a key thing so this is a this is a very yeah. nice great prompt for me <laughs> to go or oh, maybe i need to revisit mine that i've just let go for a long time yeah because they're brilliant though they do stop people so you engage need to get people. funding to be able to buy them from yes. 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 well actually i need to also start developing gardens that have these so yeah. I, can, I match the garden to the signs yes. that i yeah. can buy yeah. yes so, Karen, where can you get them from? Oh, from just on my website, from the okay. web shop, so Edible Eden Design. And there's a little store and you can see all the signs and um, just select the ones you want. There's little package deals. like they're, So they're, they're basically $35 each, but then you can get packages where you get a free, if you get five, so if you buy five signs, you get a free symbol sign. If you buy 10 signs, you get a symbol sign and a welcome to the Bushfield Garden sign. So that's kind of for the Bushfield ones. So yeah. um, I'm sort of developing the kitchen garden ones more. There's only okay. about 12 of those at the moment. So. so so before someone sort of says, oh, that's really expensive, the the cost that goes into 
creating, writing, mm. printing, paying for the printing, I would doubt that you're making any money at all. Much no, they're very that. reasonably no. priced. Very really? much a labour a labour. <laughs> they're of not love. printed in China. They're all it's <coughs> printed all, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all made it. in Australia, and I'm not going to change that. So. Yeah, no, no, that's brilliant. Yeah. No, I think they're wonderful. Lasts for, they're, it lasts for they ages. Last for ages. Mm. It yeah. lasts for ages. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and all the photos. You know, finding the photos. So the Ryberry, I ended up. Uh, there's been a few photos recently where I've had to source the photos, mm. and so that one came from I think it was someone within a growing Australian plants SAGAP, like you know Society for Growing Australian Plants yep. or something. And every time I've offered to pay for them, because <clears throat> I was you know I was pay for photos because of working mm. in magazines and not wanting to not do that. And they would, um, I would offer, and they would say, oh, no, that's fine. So then what I've done is made a donation to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation for the equivalent amount of paying for a photo. Yep. And I also, nice. every sign sold, we make a donation to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation as well, beside my usual monthly one. So I've got a really, it's just that part of educational commitment and also mm -hmm. that link with, well, this is, um, you know, sharing some Indigenous information. Yeah. And and I have to say, just in case anyone's worried, I do have a little link on this on the shop that says our information is carefully sourced. Click here, and you can read a whole um, little. I don't kind of jump up and down about it. It's more look, it is all there mm. behind the scenes. Um, there, um, you know, I, I don't share things I'm not allowed to share. I have been t uh, some of the things I've learnt have been from a Wiradjuri woman that I've been learning from for years. So, um, but I, everything I've shared from her, I've checked every single time and she has a little, she's given me a little reference on the, on the website to yeah, say, yeah. you can trust her, she's a good person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, Karen. Um, we must get to our first caller of the morning. Um, Drew from Montmorency, thank you for your, for waiting so patiently. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, more than welcome to wait. Lovely listening to your chat. Um, I'm ringing up. Last year we were devastated by uh, fruit fly for the first time in the Eltham Montmorency area. Mm. And as we're starting to get our seeds up and going again, uh, tomatoes, eggplant, some of our larger chilies got done, our plums, uh, apricots. Wondering if you could talk a little bit about the types of traps we can use in this area and when we should start to set them, please. Um, I, yeah, look, the <clears throat> if you go to Green Harvest, greenharvest.com.au, they yep. have fruit fly covered. Um, they have traps. Mm. Um, one of the first things you probably need to put out, and we don't have fruit fly where, where I, we are at the moment, but I do put this particular trap out because it picks up the males um, and if so, you know that you've got to get do something about the rest of your garden. But the other thing that Green Harvest does is they have bags that you can use that fruit fly can't penetrate. So you can put that onto onto fruit. You can put those onto fruit. They have nets that you can use, um, and they also have other traps to actually trap the fruit fly. So it's something we're all going to have to confront. Um, your local council will have good information as well. There's, there is, there are some really good sources um, because they're trying to get, keep this under control too. One of my students last semester is uh, from Eltham, Drew, and she went to um, a workshop that Nillambic Council yep. uh, had talking about fruit fly and how to contain it, try to control it. Uh, and they gave her so much information 
um, for what she can do to try to to try to deal with it. So uh, definitely get in touch with your council. I think Montmorency's in Nillimbic. Nillimbic. Banyul. Banyul. Yeah. Right on the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah must be. Uh, yeah, so look, get get in contact with Banyul and hopefully they'll they'll have some resources for you. Yep. Penny mentioned Green Harvest. Um, Bugs for Bugs is another company that has a lot of different fruit fly controls as well. They've also got the um, they call them mat cups, so M A T, and it stands for Male, male Annihilation yeah. Technique. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a pheromone. It's a biopheromone control, and it attracts the males into it, and they get so dizzy with all the pheromones that they die. (laughs) That's a a nice way of dying. It could be worse. What about the timing? Uh, is it now? Is it in a few weeks? I know that Bugs for Bugs have certain. I think they've got about three different types of the pheromone mat. Uh, controls that you can get and there's certain ones that you put out at a cert- certain time of the year i can't remember what's what i'd jump onto their website they've also got a lot of resources on there um, yep. and if you can't find it on their website i'd send them an email they're pretty good at replying and and look you can't really put them out too early yeah so oh, okay. really if yep. you're in doubt put them out now yeah um yep. because it, you know we get a couple of hot days and then suddenly they're going to they're going to be here and be active yeah um yep. And, and when you do put out those traps, sometimes they can be a little. They can they do attract other insects than just the fruit fly. Um, so just monitor the traps when you are checking them, and, and see if you have actually caught some of the fruit fly adults, just to make yep. sure that you are actually catching them. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And, yeah. and Green Harvest does this this trap that just attracts fruit fly it's a pheromone right. one and yeah. you can use it to see whether the males are in mm. in your area or mm. not yeah. yeah thank you very much all right drew can, can i, I have one yeah. uh, point in that's a tomato uh, relevant point is that uh, if you know if we have continued problems with fruit fly you can also as another tactic change what you're growing in some way so you can grow more thicker skin tomatoes which yep. are the cherries and even the larger cherries and I was finding the Gondwana series of the Dwarf yeah. Tomato Project were relatively... Were pretty good. They were pretty resistant to fruit flies. Another one Another is, is Wapsipikinian peach. <laughs> yes. Which is actually hairy. Oh. Um, so the fruit fly don't like to um, lay on them. What's the name of that which, tomato? Which one was that again? Wapsipikinian peach. How do you spell wow. that? <laughs> I, don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> it's named after a river in the US. Yeah, it sounds like um, it. And it's a, it's a medium-sized yellow um one that is just slightly hairy uh, and it it the fruit fly don't like it mm-hmm. so um if you've got fruit fly then that might be a good one but look ultimately it's i would be i will be when fruit fly get to my place i will be netting mm. the whole bed mm. um with fruit fly um, because you you don't have to worry about bee pollination with tomatoes because they're wind pollinated mm. So you need to go out and shake them, but um, you 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 can exclude them, you know, before the fruit are even formed. So um, yeah, that's what I will be doing when I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again. All the best. Pleasure Drew. and good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. I think Wapsipikinian is W A P S I C Wapsip I. C O N O 
N, something like that. So something it's like a that. it's quite a long it is a, a long word, it's a but it's a picking in. I remember practicing it when when we were doing all the tomato talks in the book. <laughs> I was just traumatized and I finally uh, finally got it like yes, I can say this now. <laughs> oh. And uh, on fruit fly, unfortunately the Victorian government has been useless in trying to control it. We just have no legislation in place. No. South Australia is completely different. They've got a fruit fly yeah. outbreak, they're onto it straight away and they've got all mm. those fruit fly controls. Mm. My auntie and uncle got stung at the border near Mildura just recently because they had (coughs) yes (laughs) I'm just funny I don't even know it Um, they had two tomatoes and a capsicum in their in their um in their caravan and um the fruit fly control officers got found it and they got a four hundred dollar fine going into South Australia Mm. Um, and that's for fruit fly yeah they're really really vigilant yeah 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 Victoria's not doing that much, unfortunately. I, look, so. I think I think it came into Victoria quite a long time ago yes. into northern Victoria, and yep. I, I think that you know that was and because of climate change, because things are getting warmer, mm. it's just making its way further south. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas it wasn't in South Australia, so no, yeah. Um, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Chloe Foster and I have Penny Woodward, Karen Sutherland and Stephen Wells in the studio with me this morning. If you want to chat to us on air, call us on 94190155. Our text message is 0488 If you don't want to come on air, still call that number and Michaela and AB can uh, type your message or question through to us. Uh, anyone that wants to contact us or send photos, um, please do that via our email. We can't take photos on the text line. They don't come up on the computer here. Our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au and you can find The Gardening Show on Facebook on and Instagram and that is 3CR Gardening Show, all one word. Oh. Oh. So Chloe, can I just mention a couple of other things on the on the thrifty side of things? I'll just sit back and you guys can chat for the next hour, or so that's fine. Go. So um, again, in the, in the in the magazine, one of the one of the things that this is Organic Gardener magazine, which people shouldn't confuse with Good Organic Gardening, which happens quite often. We actually got a letter from someone oh, a few no. weeks ago where they were accusing us of saying things about drowning rats and mice and it wasn't us at all it was good organic gardening so <laughs> fortunately I have a fairly good memory about of what's been in the magazine and I was able to say to Steve our editor this is not us That's we right. didn't yeah. say this <laughs> so anyway um so one of the things that um that we that we talk about in here is Reusing, um, repurposing things in the garden. So one of one of the things that I've seen done really effectively is collecting two or three old wooden kitchen chairs and ca- painting them in bright colours and using them as plant stands in the garden. So they look fabulous with a great big pot on the top and the colour of the chair, you know, really shines as well as. A, so that's one of them. The other thing that I've seen, seen really effectively used is reusing. Um, garden umbrellas once the the cover has rotted for beans so you grow them up yeah, the perfect. center and then they grow out along the be perfect along, for yeah. putting your, your um, string line down or yeah exactly or, or yes or you can do it that way and it they just look they just look brilliant so um so little little or big things like that i also shred 
um, all my anything that's got financial stuff on it, paper, and it all goes back into the garden as well. I use that mainly in my wound farms because my wound farms tend to get a little bit wet, so I, I add the paper, which is carbon, and mm. put that in there. And I did talk about this last time, but I've actually got some photos of it that I want to show the other two because I got quite excited about <laughs> this. It was a whole thing about uh, recycling clothes in the garden. Ooh. So I sort of um, talked about it. Um, but I didn't. It was the the article hadn't actually been published. I remember you talking about it, and I was listening. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, I have to chat to Penny about this next time <laughs> I have to see her." But I also wanted to pull, put the call out to our listeners of some of the recycling things that they're doing in their gardens. Yeah. If there's any any ideas, because I'd love to add to that list of list of ideas. Can, but, I, can I add to it? I sure. give my mum my quilting scraps. Offcuts yep. to put into her worm farm. Yeah, so to so eat. you must only use cotton then. Yeah, they or, are. Yeah, so yeah. so one of the things that that you need to do if you want to recycle your clothes in the garden is only buy clothes that mm. are made of natural fabric. Mm. Yep. So um, and I in here I have a picture of I've spread some hessian bags that where the bottom had gone. They're actually organic gardener hessian bags, but the bottom had gone out of them completely and I just couldn't work out a way to fix them. And I wanted to see how they went breaking down the garden. I spread those, a pair of jeans, um, some um, a, a, an old jump, sort of sweatshirty, jumpery thing and a couple of pairs of shorts, my husband's football shorts. Not that he plays football, but he wears these shorts quite a lot. <laughs> Um, I spread them over the surface of the soil. I then um, planted tomatoes amongst them and then mulched over the top of the whole lot. And 12 months, or six months later, all that was left, and I'm just going to pass this over. So the pictures show the, show the um, spread over the garden bed. All that's left was some fibres from something that obviously had some wasn't totally natural cotton, which I thought it was. Mm. But it was interesting to see how all the cotton had gone, but the fibres were left. And then um, also uh, uh, the elastic band around the top of the football shorts. So that was um, that was all that was left out of all those clothes that I put in the garden, and it only took six months. And but, did you also, <coughs> excuse me, also find, did that add... Um, Benefit for worms and organic yeah, context, yeah. That look, increase it, as well. Absolutely. Um, so look, it's hard. To, it's hard to say, but the, I have a lot of activity in my soil already. I but can imagine you yeah. have a seeming. But it was soil. just. Yeah. A, it was just a way of. Um, I don't know. We have a real problem with clothes waste, oh, and and yeah. there's a there's a longer bit in yeah. at the beginning of the article that talks about that, and I also made um, fertilizer sausages, which is using. Um, the arms or le the legs of jeans or the arms of long sleeve t shirts or even jumpers if you wanted to and you fill them up with I fill them up with chook manure and straw from the mm. nesting boxes. And um they gradually break down over twelve months and I mainly use them on the on the fruit trees. So I, I generally put a bit of mulch over the top of them after I've put them there. So I, this is awesome. Can I also just add a little segue? Because this sure. is brilliant to hear this. Open Gardens Victoria have a competition at the moment, which is recycling in your garden. And this okay. is brilliant examples. Yep. Um, I do have to say that I'm the designated judge for this competition. So um, <laughs> so here's something that Stephen likes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say any more you know, other than that. Yep. But as a, as a thing, this is brilliant to hear yep. because this is great examples of recycling. Someone made a comment in the initial stages of the competition of, well, um, some people see different people doing recycling and go, oh, that's too 
fine or that's too highbrow or but the great thing about recycling and repurposing in gardens is that you can do so much mm. and mm. it doesn't it's not about how it looks mm. it's often about how practical it can be used mm. um so things examples like this is brilliant so the open gardens victoria check their website mm. scroll through and there's a competition tag but some of these images so the image that we saw was this great um, bed laid out of um, clothing. So it almost looked like you might have been sorting your bed clothes on your bed <laughs> and you've laid them out. Um, but here in the garden bed, they've been used perfectly. So it's a great example. So yeah. perfect. But starting point needs to be wearing clothes with natural fibres. Absolutely. And if you can't afford to buy them, you go to the op shop and find them in, in the op shop. So, mm. you know, there are lots of different ways of being able to do that. But there's also another whole thing that's been happening is that a research project called Soil Your Undies, <laughs> which comes from, um, which I've actually written about for the next issue, where they are handing pairs of cotton underpants out to school groups and, and citizen science groups all over Australia. And they get them to put them in the soil. <laughs> We've got incredulous looks in our faces. Yeah. They get them, they oh, get them so to, bury them, to bury them in the soil to a certain depth. And then after, I think it's three months, they take them out again. And what they're actually doing is using this as a way of telling how active your soil is. Mm. So it's a, it's a sort of standard because they all use exactly the same pair of uh, type of under, <laughs> cotton underpants. Um, and some of them come out of the soil after the three months and you can just wash them and put them back on again. Wow. Others others are rotted to the extent that there's only the elastic band wow. left. Um, so you, And you have extremes between the thing. And what it does is it allows you to look at them and say, uh-oh, I need to do something about my soil microbiome, which means wow. adding... adding um, adding um, organic matter, yep. um, protecting your soil, doing all the things that we talk about all the time. So who would have um, thought that soiled undies yeah. <laughs> would be a good indicator for soil yeah. and what you need to do? it? That's awesome. I, I think it is absolutely awesome and it's they've involved – I mean, everyone thinks it's really funny and they – but it's now gone to Africa – they found it was too hard to do the actual soil your undies, but what they've done is they've actually produced um, exactly the same si uh, size of a piece of cotton and they've attached an, a nylon label to it, which won't rot, that tells you um, uh, the date and, and when it was done. And in Africa they are burying these in the soil and then yep. looking for them the same. And they and so that's telling them it, with what they need to do to their soil. It's mm. such a simple way that they can do it. And they've handed this out to farmers and wow. schools and people all over. Well, I think it was Kenya where they started. So this is the same science group um, from Australia who are now have moved this to Africa. And I just... I just think it's fantastic. Which is brilliant because there's a, there's a few thing, layers in that for me. Um, yep. Clothes, we often recycle. Like yep. if you've done them, you either do, like example you were talking about in the garden, or you put them um, for reuse. Yep. Underpants, I don't think anyone does anything like that. No. no you don't no. do that because you go, well, why, who else would wear my no. underpants? You but can if use you them actually, as rags in your shed, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> but educating people about using <laughs> cotton underpants Yep. is part of this, as I, mm. as I read it. Mm. Um, but it also then is used to then monitor your soil because you sit and go, well, what else would you do with your underpants unless you're using the, mm. the sh in the shed? Yeah. So that's brilliant. Yeah. 
and I also cut t-shirts up to tie my tomatoes up with because yep. they make really great soft ties on the tomatoes. But um, And even the cotton industry has got involved in this. So they are um, cutting up their cotton into small pieces, putting it into compost and putting that all back into their soil before they plant their cotton crop. So wow. if you go to cottonaustralia.com.au, I think yeah. it is, you can read about what they're doing in recycling cotton. Yep. You can use yeah. those soft cotton ties um, to espalier, to, to tie up your espalier fruit yeah. trees yes. and then you just change them yeah. every year. I used to prune these lovely trees for, the, for some particular people every single year and each year we'd have a different colour. She would cut up a certain amount different. of clothing or cloth yeah. that she had and then we'd have, oh, we'd have purple this year and next yep. year we'd have orange. And, and it's a good thing because they rot away, which is perfect because you don't want to cut, you know, a, a, a nylon or or not natural tie mm. can tend to mm. cut into a plant. You need to yep. change them every year anyway, so it's mm. a really good... Yep. Um, you just put them in Brilliant. the compost afterwards if yeah, you want to. Yeah, it's or, a yep. good mechanism yep. to sort of say, well, get rid of that one and put a fresh one on and then you're mm. looking after the health of your plant. If anyone out there is doing any of this sort of fabric decomposing <laughs> with their in their gardens, give us a call on 9419 0155. Um, we do have a... Special caller on the line. It is our listener, Alan, from the UK. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm tucked into bed. <laughs> it, now, it's been a little bit of a warm summer over there, which everyone looks like they've been oh. flailing. Oh, it's a nightmare. I just... I, I did not move here for it to be 42. That's <laughs> no, what I was yeah. moving away from. Moving <laughs> away from. So I've actually been catching up on podcasts, listening to you guys, because it's just been, we, I've been waiting for the weather to settle before I trim back all the singed and dried and dead things. Just, yeah, it's a bit depressing, but we got through it. We're starting to get a little bit of rain. Um, and I, I was just, I was calling in because I, I, was trying to remember some of the tips that you guys had for when you have your droughts and, and it gets hotter. And my issue is actually the weather patterns are changing. I've been here about 10 years, and our winters are drier. And so one of the things that I'm having issues with is when I plant, I usually plant autumn garlic. So I'll plant it in the fall, and then it, it, it sits and does its thing, and we have a, a, an early harvest in the spring. But I've really found in the last couple of years, it's very dry. And I don't know if I should just stop doing that <laughs> because I'm worried about watering it. If I'm watering it in their free-draining beds, they're, in, they're improved raised beds, and they grow well, but it's dry. And I just didn't know what, the, what, what you guys would offer as tips if I should add things to that, like seaweed that would help stabilize it. Um, yeah, the, because they just—they're coming out punier and punier, yeah. and, it, and it really looks like it's too dry. Um, as, as far as garlic goes, you—you um, you have a couple of options. It does need to be watered during winter. Um, in the in the UK, you generally plant in sort of June, July. Um, one, if you if you're seeing a bit more rain in spring, the answer might be to plant them a little bit later. Um, because I know here in Australia there are some cultivars, particularly from the silverskin group and the Creole group, because they keep longer. Um, for us, we plant we can plant them in August and September, and still get a reasonable size bulb 
out of it. So uh, I'm afraid okay. that if if the winters are drier, um, you perhaps need to start planting a bit later or you need to find a way of keeping more moisture in the soil. So I would also be looking at um, ed- adding more organic matter to the soil so that you, you yeah. have... Um, you, the soil has a better chance of holding the water and making sure that you mulch. Um, I we automatically mulch here because the you know the weather is yeah. can be unreliable. Um, mulching is really important for keeping the moisture in the soil. So, I think I think a combination yeah, I'm the of only one. Sorry. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that mulches. <laughs> right. Yes. It's n- it's not a yeah. gardening yeah. practice Man, over there. No. Truly. Yeah. It's an English, you know, allotment style. And they, I mean, there's, we have a range of ages from, you know, 20 year olds to 80 year olds. But the trend is that they, they, they either double dig or they spray, yep. but they'll leave the soil open. Yep. And they wonder why the weeds, or they wonder why it's oh. 42 degrees. The, yep. the dirt is rock hard. <laughs> yep. And they're like, oh, I'm watering twice a day and watering twice a day. And they just, I'm the only one. I have straw. I, I, we have uh, barley straw or hay straw um, left over from, you know, from cereal harvest. And I get it delivered. I put it on six, eight, and eight inches thick, fluffy, not not the, not yep, solid. Yeah, so that any moisture and can get through. I, I was fine. Yep. My water, my, you know, the, I watered, but it was, the soil was cool. Everything kept growing. And they, they don't know. I try to quietly... <laughs> no. I'm going to ask: Have Maybe you? Has it given you the opportunity to educate them about it? And have they British listened? People, <laughs> I love my British. I love my British uh, community, but they're very. You know, it, it, you don't really know sometimes yeah. <laughs> what's going I, in. You don't want to offend people. You kind of. Yeah. yeah. You kind of just. They see things like they see that. My dahlias are huge, or the corn is green, and theirs mm. isn't. And so I, tr- I try to just be real neutral. And I, I used to do market gardening, and we used to, you know, we used to mulch all the time. We still have stuff, but they're not used to it. They're just not used to it. Yeah. But I, I think they'll get there. I think they'll get there. I, I but just, I was going to say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say that you know the whole double digging thing is it, we just shouldn't do that anymore because. What it does is to expose all the microbiome of the soil to the air and the sun and to lack of water, and it kills it. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know if you were listening to our conversation before, but I'm sure that if they put their underpants in the soil, (laughs) um, they'd come out almost completely intact. Yeah, because we're we're on a hard, it's called glacial moraine clay. Yeah. It's rock and it's clay, and if you let it dry out, it's not coming back. Yeah, you exactly. You can't water your way out of the drought. You yeah. have to wait for the, the weather to change, torrential, you know, like regular rains. It's not going to dry. It's not going to come back. So yeah. without a lot of intervention. But I, I was going to say that it, it's a, we're kind of in a, it's a funny area because there's trees. There's also a large older cemetery. We have a lot of foxes. So I have come into the raised beds. They're only raised beds like maybe half foot. None of them are more than a foot deep. They've got compost. I never put any food in there, but I have to be careful, especially in the spring. I will go in the bed, and there's a little disturbance, and I dig around. The foxes bury stuff. They bury leather gloves, and I will find leather gloves at the bottom of 
this like little pit and they carefully cover it up. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I should leave that there. <laughs> but it doesn't really break down. They, usually it's missing. They like, chew off a finger, you know, and the one little yeah. finger is mm. missing. And they bury the rest, and they've made a huge mess. Yeah. But I was like, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know what you're saving it for. <laughs> so, but yeah. I, I shouldn't, I don't know. We used to do, um, like, a large windrows when I did market gardening. You know, and we moved uh, compost with, you know, uh, you know, front end loaders and stuff. And uh, we used to put all kinds of stuff in there. And because of the heat and the microbiome in there, nothing, you know, everything got biodegraded, mm. uh, you know, within days. So, yeah, uh, you know, compost is your friend, you know, mm. getting things, getting yeah. the soil going. So is mulch. But is it? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to convert them to mulch. Well, I'll tell you, they're so parent. They're paranoid about slugs and snails because they're so uh, used to the, it being mm. wet. Oh, True. slugs and snails. I'm like, we well, just look at, you know, look at my stuff. If there's not an issue. So just, you know, I just, it's all open. There's no fences. So they can walk in. Mm. I said, have a mm. look, you know, eat something. <laughs> I think <laughs> often, <laughs> often the example is we need to experience things for a little while before we learn. Um, and that's what we've done yeah. in our environment here. We, you know, getting used to understanding and teaching people about the value of mulching and soil uh, moisture retention and I think that's probably you know experience is the best teacher um, and it may very well yeah. be that it needs to unfortunately have some repeat seasons of hot weather before mm. people go oh so we need to change we need to look at yeah. so what oh your crops are so much better so why is that and then yeah, and it's um, not it's not because I'm there I mean I, I still work full time yeah so I, I only get to water twice a week. And the other thing with the straw was that it would give you, um, it gives you like the little moisture layer close to the soil so that even if the heat gets on it, it's still, it's not going to get down and, and cook the soil. There's a couple podcasts out of Arizona and they had some other tips that I, they use like a sacrificial um, plant. So they mulch, they'll do all kinds of stuff with compost and mulch. But that was the only other thing that I thought was interesting was they'll harvest like, they'll, they'll take all their rhubarb leaves if it's going to be a really hot spell, and they'll lay all the rhubarb leaves on top of the mulch. And they said during the day, they will dry, but they'll release the moisture slowly around the plant. Yep. So they're, they're in, like, the 43 to 45. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I, I tore out <laughs> all kinds of rhubarb leaves because mm. they're, you know, they're rampant. And I use um, comfrey as well. But I, oh, I, I haven't mm. heard that widely used, but I... I thought it worked. You know, it certainly saved me from having going out there all the time. So brilliant. But but it, it's it's lovely to to listen to you guys. So I'll let you get back to the to the underpants. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let us get back to soiling our underpants. Yeah. Alan, thank yeah. you so much for calling. We do love it when you chat when you call in for a chat. So thank you very much for making the oh. effort. And good luck. Yeah, oh, good luck. All right, keep composting. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay. Bye. I saw a video um, on the web just recently about the the really hot summer that they've had. I think it was Chatsworth Estate in the, the front lawn of the property, of the house or whatever, um, was gotten so dry. And I think this happened in a few other country estates, is the pattern of the old parterre garden mm, is actually again. appears. Ah. Because like a ghost. Yeah, it got you know yeah. it got removed. Yeah. I think at Chatsworth it got removed about three or four hundred years ago, but oh. the the 
um, and they've just they obviously laid lawn straight over the top, but the um, the soil level obviously hasn't changed. So you could see mm. these partier patterns wow. showing up After again. After all that time. Yeah. Isn't that, that's a great the, example of how, you know, just because it's underground doesn't mean that it's um, gone. gone. Mm. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, and also, I mean, the soil level obviously hasn't changed either. I mean, if we're in Australia, we're, you know, mulching and adding compost and all that, our soil levels mm. would change. So mm. it's probably a sign mm. that, yeah, their soil levels haven't changed. Mm. Or mm. They don't do top dressing on their lawns no. or something. <laughs> I guess it's you know it's relevant for us to be thinking about summer, but can we just hold off for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's hold off. Can we, hold, to... can we go launch into spring? Oh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> uh, we've got a, um, a text message that's coming, so let's get to that. Um, Kim has asked, how does she know if the canners that she has are edible canners? That's a really tricky one because you really know, need to know where it came from. Um, I know that what I've got is an edible canner because it was handed to me by a Vietnamese person who was growing it and eating it. Yeah. Um, so there is there is a a, a um, species called Canna edulis, um, but it, it's a very confused field. I I would be um, wanting to talk to someone who knows their cannas really well, um, maybe sending photos of the flowers and the leaves and um, finding out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the edible cannas, and this is certainly what I, we were discovering when we were writing the Community Gardens book, um, I, I'm sort of hesitating to say this, but I actually think most cannibals are most um, <laughs> sorry, most canners oh, are edible. Yeah. Sorry, getting the confusing the words. That's the best um, confusion. But the ed the edible ones have been bred over many generations mm. to um, emphasise the edible side of it. So I don't think you're going to be poisoned by eating canner bulbs, but they may taste pretty terrible. Mm. Yeah. Um, is what I'm trying to say. But I'm not recommending that you that you start eating them. I'm recommending that you talk to someone about what you may have yeah. and find out whether there's a chance of it being an edible canner. Or, or going not. to buy like a, a, the specific edulis. Yeah, so I was going yes. to say go to a nursery. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, except I'm not yeah. sure that the nurseries will know either. I'm not I sure. I know to buy no. one. We, we're yeah. saying buy one that's labelled. Yeah. Yes. Or from Green. I think Green Harvest sells them as well, actually. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes. Online? Yeah, they do have bulb, bulb mm. canner bulbs. That's yeah. very true. Um, Kim yeah. had another question. Um, how? What do I do to my Kang Kong seeds to get them to germinate? Mm. A lot of warmth. I know they need a lot of warmth. Like they're quite late. Yeah, I've never tried with the seeds. I I've don't. Done yes, I've I've bought I've used cuttings or bought plants. I haven't tried with seeds either. I'm sorry, I don't have a quick answer to that. Again, I'd actually suggest going to one Great. of the websites like Green Harvest and having a look at what they're recommending if they're even selling seeds. And yeah. Seeds. yeah, yeah. All right. Good luck, Kim. Um, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're here till quarter past nine. My name is Chloe Foster, and I have Penny Woodward. Karen Sutherland and Stephen Wells in the studio with me this morning. If you want to chat to us on air, the number is 94190155. Our text line is 0488809855. If you're a podcaster or you slept in and you want to send us a question, uh, you can contact us via our email address and it's gardening at 3cr.org.au. 
Um, I was going to ask a question of Penny. Coming back to the article you talked about before with the um, costs and savings, mm -hmm. did they did it touch on the volume of space you need to do that? Uh, Just yes. thinking about, you know, I'm, I yeah, it did. I had a small garden at home in the sense of where I could put productive. Um, that's changed over the years as I've mm. moved on to different areas of it. Um, so I was very conscious of knowing what I could or couldn't do with the, with the space I had. Um, and wondering whether other visitors, other, visitor, other mm -hmm. listeners, sorry, um, might be interested in that as well. Yeah, look, Diggers does something similar to this too. They have right. often write about a, a yeah. certain yeah. size of garden and how, how it works. And I'm just trying to remember what we... Diggers, while you're looking it up, yep. I'll interject if you don't, if that's yeah, not rude fine. Um, That Diggers, and I often use it to, to explain to people, as just a general guide, that they, they suggest 10 square metres for one person's all of their food actually because they've got these little plans that enc that encompass dwarf fruit trees and berries and veggies but I often I often try to give because it really depends what people's diet is and what they're growing yep. so I often suggest that you need about 10 square meters for you know for one person's veggies and and then you've got your herbs or can you fit your herbs amongst your garden plants and then yep. then you've got more veggie space so but I don't know that's 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 their I mean, that's their info from their research. Because yep. um, I know one of the challenges I had too was the spot that I knew that I had available for veggies um, was great for summer, but for winter it was totally shaded by the house because of the, the aspect. Mm -hmm. um, so on, there would have been plants that could have grown, but whether they would have in that time. So it's really interesting to... To get that understanding. Yeah, we've, we've all and yeah, my garden's the same as yours. It's, it's evolved, and then things have got bigger, and suddenly you mm. don't have those spaces, and you've got to grow different things. And, and there's other yeah. plants that you want to go, but you're yeah. moving. <laughs> I loved you, but I'm moving on from you. Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst breakups. <laughs> um, ten to twenty square meters. Great. So is for a family of four. Oh, there yep. you go, yeah. yeah. So Wonderful. five to ten then per person, roughly, yeah. for veggies. Yeah. So veggies and fruit, is he saying? Um, yeah, look, it depends. And it depends how you grow. I mean, yeah. what we were talking yeah. about before, if you if you grow lots of things up, then that dramatically increases yeah. the space. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're growing passion fruit and um, you're, you've got dwarf fruit trees in pots and, you know, you can fit an awful lot into yeah. a small area Climbing if, you, beans, if little, you're making yeah. the right choices. Little. I know when my dad and mum moved from their um, uh, property where they had a market garden to mm. a um, domestic site, property site, um, they dad did a lot of espalier. Mm. He, had a, he was a fruit tree person. Yep. Mm. So he had about half a dozen fruit trees mm. in a spot that someone yep. might have put one or two because they were all espaliered, he got the right sun and aspect mm. and increased his volume incredibly. And, and I think it also mm. depends if you're prepared to bottle as well. Yep. So, you know, if you're getting masses of fruit, if you bottle it, then you've got those right through winter. Correct. Um, Good, and the preserves. Oh, yes. the preserves. Yes. I, took, I took out a tub of peaches from the freezer this week that I took from my peaches in January. See? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Well so, done. yeah, I, I, we have a very, quite a small freezer, so I actually bottle everything. Mm. And yep. and I now do it in small jars. So I use the jars that the Meredith cheese comes in or olives yep. come in mm -hmm. that size of jar and I stack them in my boiler and I don't put sugar in with them. Yep. I just preserve them um, using heat. And I, I have apples and plums and, and they're lasting right through winter and the tomatoes. Um, so I, I, I just... 
you know, how do you do that without sugar? Because I, that's why I stew them, so I don't. I put in a little bit of honey, but I don't. I just want the fruit to eat later on. Yeah. I don't want the sugar. Yeah, you just do it without sugar. What and sort of liquid do you put? Water. In? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you just my mind you cook them, you cook <laughs> them at the right temperature. Right. Um, and I, initially, I put in a tiny amount of sugar because mm. it just felt wrong not to have the yeah. sugar in there. But I'm now not really not using sugar. Yeah. I do um, the same. And just use and those popped out. But I use the, you probably use the same. The jars that pop down when they cool. Mm. Yes. The ones that you yep. go ding, 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 yep. the lid. Yes, yes. So do you both have, like, um, YouTube channels that are no. how to? <laughs> sure. So that for us that don't know. Stephen, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> no, I, I was just tempting and putting yeah. it out there just in case okay, you next had time. Yeah. Next YouTube video, I'll, I'll, I've got to get around to doing some <laughs> I'm actually going to do one on transitioning. Speaking of transition gardens, this is right off the topic, sorry. I'll just add it in there. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do one soon. Because I put in for Joa's, I love the story of your dad with his espalier fruit trees. I love, yep. love, I just love fruit trees. Um, <laughs> grand, I'm a do- granddaughter of an orchardist. Excellent. So yeah, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> and, and I tried this espalier for Joa's me- merely because the camellia sasanquas that you know I used, was using in landscaping at the time they just all died because it was so because it got hotter and drier. Yep. So I thought, oh, look at these long leggy for Joa's. I'll stick them in there and train them on the fence. And they've done really well for years and in a really small spot along the driveway. I've had five fajoas and I'd get about 10 kilos a year off them, of good plants. They're getting, they're quite tall now. But then they've now become very sticky and I don't mean, um, you know, sticky moist. I mean sticky, they've got lots of sticks, sticks. because they're hard, yeah, oh, lots yeah. of sticks poking out. And so then I thought, oh, I've been thinking, what can I do with these things? I'm now going to actually trim all the lower stuff off the beautiful sculptural trunks because the bark of fajoas is really quite beautiful. And um, train them up and just have a hedgy section at the top out of the way where they're not yep. scratching people and um, sort of pleach them and have a hedgy bit at the top. And I thought that'd be a fun thing to show people with a bit of fast forward because it'll take ages. Yep. But um, just to show people, look, because there's not a lot of, there's a whole lot of stuff about put this in, put this in, but there's not a whole lot of stuff about, well, what do you do next and how mm. do you know how to prune it? And yep. So anyway, that's a, I can tell something you, for the future. Do mm. do it. Um, a couple of years ago now, so my dad was an orchardist. I don't have any fruit trees, but what I what I wanted, what I actually know, I tell a lie. I have a lemon. I have a lemon oh. at the moment. Um, another story. Um, but um, for myself and my brothers, I wanted to video dad doing a pruning. Oh, yes, beautiful. So all, all I did was say to dad, he, there was an apricot tree at his retirement village where he is now, and I said, oh, dad, what are we doing here? And and then I just left him talk. Beautiful. Yeah. And he talked, and he talked about the pruning for this year and for the following year's fruiting and mm. the buds and all those sort of mm. stuff. It's had about 60-odd thousand views. Oh, yeah. And people, and this is just Dad, who is just an experienced mm. horticulturalist gardener. That's very experienced. Which many yeah. of us have engagements with people like mm. that. And you go, mm. we just, people have just commented about how much they've learnt from it. Mm. So, I, I, you know, he's, he lives interstate, so I don't have the opportunity to... Mm go and do more videos with him mm. that easily but I thought for any of us yeah. to go if you know someone that's just mm. knows something mm. get on a video mm. put mm. it up people are hungry for that stuff mm. using mm. The, the right word yeah. there <laughs> to just learn and if you've got experience yeah. and you know it's it's just a it's a valuable thing particularly when it's around seed saving mm. pruning mm. vegetables and growth fruit tree pruning especially yes people because I try to find them for classes and they are a um no, I'll say a dying entity like Dad mm, mm. used to do fruit trees and roses, and he's 87. Like mm, it was, we he's, mm. he's 
he's gone out of it because I've finally got him onto the many years of saying, don't get up a ladder. Um, <laughs> and he, But he, people would keep asking him because in the country town he lived mm, in, people yeah. knew that Ken would always do the, 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 mm. their trees. Yeah. But he had trouble then trying to find other people mm. to say to recommend. Mm. Yep. So yeah, if, you, if any mm. of you are doing fruit tree stuff, spot on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, yep. Chloe. Get, mm. get that shared knowledge out there because there's yeah. less people knowing about how to prune mm. and prune six, for successive years yeah. growth. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. they don't understand like your dad was like you were explaining about your dad. They don't understand the difference between the different wood that they're looking at. Correct, and, and the different yeah. buds. Why? Mm. You know, if there's two buds, what compared to one bud? Is that a fruiting bud or is that mm. a leaf bud? Mm. That, that you, mm. you know. He was explaining to prune now for next year's growth, so you're sacrificing it for the year after mm. and the year after. And the, well, time, of, the time of year too. Correct. I mean, mm. yep. ap- apricots should be pruned in summer, yep. not in winter, yep. otherwise you end up with gummosis. And, yep. So yeah. that sort of stuff of summer so, pruning, winter pruning, all those yep. kind of valuable things. So, yes, good point, Chloe. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of good books about fruit trees or pruning in general. Um, Roger Elliott has written a sort of, condensed guide to um, pruning and he talks about fruit tree Mm. pruning in that but for Melbourne um, there's a really fabulous book by a guy called um, Lewis Glowinski the complete guide to fruit tree growing in Australia or something like that it's a bit hard to get hold of copies but libraries usually have them I would have thought second hand you'd get Mm. them yeah it does yeah it is, I'm pretty sure it is out of print. So, yeah, usually a mm. second-hand copy, but they're about $100 or more to buy. Mm. Yeah, so don't lend yours oh, out. Carry <laughs> oh, I would never lend that anyway. No. Yeah. Have a chain no. on it. But yeah. 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 There's yeah. also yeah. Paul Baxter's yeah. fruit tree books are really good too. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got that, both is of them. the... Um, oh, whoops. Um, sort of A4 black with red secateurs on the front? Or not someone no, else's? Oh, okay. I don't know. I've got another really old yeah. book on yeah. um, fruit tree printing I got from a second-hand shop years ago. But, and, and there's yeah, also Alan Gilbert's books. Alan, yes. Yeah. He's, a, he's a terrific, and they are still in print. Oh, so he's got good. one on Aspalia and, and um, yeah. So for any, holding up the one on for any budding yes. horticulturalists, oh, oh, no. oh, very um, good, Stephen. If you're looking for areas to you know move into, pruning of fruit trees mm. um, is something that we wouldn't we need that knowledge. And if there's yeah. less, not as many people out there doing it, mm. I did it for years, and I don't really want to go out and do it anymore. I've got too many other things going on, and getting you know. Getting... We need your succession plan. And yeah, yes. people are always ringing, saying, "Do you do this anymore?" I'm like, no, I don't really do it anymore. Mm. And, yeah, mm. yeah. There is, and I can't remember their names. I'm trying to find them on Instagram. There, there are some um, some guys that are starting that are specialising in that so good. around mm. inner Melbourne, yep. pruning fruit trees. And I will try to find their name um, and and be company and share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because no, if we were encouraging people to do more edibles and yeah, fruit trees. Yeah. Specifically, but all the nuances of, like you were saying, pruning at the right time to prevent gummosis and what is gummosis yep. and making sure that you get good um, repeat cropping, but also know that it might take a few years for your crops to, to get to the size. That's the kind of knowledge we need to... Yeah, and for that repeat cropping, like you need to prune them at, annually. So it's it's ongoing work that you can be creating for yourself. And Correct. if you do a good job and people get bumper harvest, they're like, yeah, we're going to get you back yeah. next mm. year. But also know that, you know, one tree, that one season it might be an off a year. Mm. Yep. And then the next year it has its cycle back on again. Um, what one, I mean, just to give you an example, I, those same people with their strips of fabric for their espaliers, I went in, when I started pruning for them, they'd had someone the year before and they... I think for two years in a row or something, they'd got nothing off. They had a double grafted Espalier apple and they got nothing off one side 
and good fruit off the other. And, I mean, I didn't know the varieties off the top of my head. There's so many. So I just looked it up and found, oh, the one that had been pruned back, you know, very to very short, like just two, two nodes on each little, you know, extension of the main branches. Um, it was a tip bearer. So it was never going to have no. any fruit if it was pruned that way forever. Yeah. It was healthy and all that sort of thing, but they had no fruit. So we had to build up a system of leaving all the straggly little bits um, out there that you know that had tips so they could get some fruit yep. so all those sort of things yep. about knowing whether something's a tip bearer or a spur bearer or yeah. is it a, or sometimes mm. apples are combinations and so and sh- and I, so when I've done fruit pruning in the past too but it's it's you know you can uh, it's good to show people but it, you can actually learn if you're looking at it thinking well aware if we what you know you can look at the it's I like the thing of your dad planning for the future but another thing I learnt somewhere along the line, maybe from a book or someone else, I don't know, was looking to see the looking at what's happening in your tree, and that tells you how it's been pruned in the past. Yes. How has it responded mm-hmm. to the last season's right. growth? It was something I, I think I read it in a book, and it's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And you can—it's a bit like the thing of plants are telling you what they need, but they're telling you what's happened as well. But you have yep. to be, like you were talking about, people just look at a plant in a garden mm-hmm. and they think, "Oh, that's just a green blob," and it's that creating that awareness that uh, or helping create that awareness in people and in, in new students and the new new, yep. new breed of, you know on upcoming budding gardeners and yeah um, can can I just mention the um, heritage fruit society and Petty's orchard so if you're interested in fruit trees and you're interested in um, I don't know that they run actual pruning classes but they get people to come along and help in the orchard and if you're there with people who know exactly what they're doing, then you can have conversations about. Um, yep. And and they're at they're at one Homestead Road, Templestowe. But if you if you just Google Heritage Fruit Society, um, they have workshops on various things from time to time. They also want members to come and help with this amazing orchard and all the incredible apricots and plums and apples and pears that they have there. So it would be a really good learning space while you're helping the actual orchard. You might just be weeding, but you could be talking to someone who knows how to prune at the same time. And Werribee Park, sorry to interrupt, but Werribee Park. Yeah, Werribee Park is another one. So they're both really good places. And they do um, grafting days and someone I know is involved with them. And, yeah, it's a fabulous group of people. Again, you're picking up. It's the other side of the city, so it's good for Melbourne. You've got one on each side and Mm. you learn. Centrally, you've got Burnley that do their um, yes. pruning. Yeah, they do. Um, workshops a couple of times a year, I think. Maybe yeah. summer and winter. Yeah, I, think. I don't, haven't seen them, but I think that's because of so COVID. We've, we've covered those? three sides there Central, <laughs> yeah. West, yeah. East. Who, who yeah. runs, is it Chris Williams that runs yes. the Burnley yeah. ones? Of yep. course, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, um, yes. We'll have to quiz Chris next time he's in yeah. the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I found um, the fruit tree pruning. Um, lady people that are working in inner melbourne so based in thornbury um christy clark uh runs fruit tree folk arboricultural care for urban fruit trees summer and winter pruning mulching netting pest and deli- pest oh. and disease solutions and planting Fantastic. in yeah, melbourne so fruit tree fruit folk thank you <laughs> <laughs> fruit tree folk uh, if you want someone to help you uh, with your fruit trees, but mm. otherwise, uh, any sort of plant group that you're interested in, orchids, we're talking about this morning, succulents or whatever, um, there's usually a plant society or a garden society that come together to talk about how to mm. get your mo- get the most out of them and the mm. Heritage Fruit Tree mm. Society, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, um, I was just looking up the Burnley one too, and it was actually Chris, it's Chris England of Marywood Plants. Oh, yes. And they just had it yesterday, Saturday the 27th. Oh, yeah. So, sorry, folks. Dang. <laughs> um, but they'll have more in the summer, yeah. won't they? They will. Yeah, um, when it's so keep an eye out for that one. So, Chris England um, yeah. of a, Marywood Plants. A brilliant Estelia guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster. We've been talking about pruning fruit trees this morning for the last little while. Uh, in the studio, I have Penny Woodward, Karen Sutherland and Stephen Wells. We're here for another 15 minutes. If you want to call in, the number is 94190155 or our text line is 0488809855. Can I? Uh, sorry, Do you, <laughs> um, I was just going to bring up edible flowers. So it's one of the things that I'm uh, at the moment. Um, I have I haven't bought a, a green a salad leaf for two, three or four years now, because I've always got something in my garden that I can harvest to make salads. But one of the joys I have of making salads is using edible flowers in the salads. So the the two. Two main ones I'm using at the moment are oh, three, pineapple sage, borage, uh, calendula marigolds and violets are the four that I'm using in salads at the moment. And I know Karen, I mean, this is the next issue of Organic Gardening. Karen mm-hmm. has written a, a, about it, some edible flowers as well. And I just thought it might be nice to, to mention that again too. I've, I so, have just actually got so many calendulas because I'm also gardening up at my mum's property yeah. in northeast of Shepparton. And the calend- I just put in a few calendulas just, you know, to yep. get some more flowers in the garden. And they've gone a little bit crazy. So yep. I've been thinking about um, <laughs> doing some dehydrating of petals yes. for, um, you know, to be able to save them for tea. And, and they're beautiful in salads. You can sprinkle those in scrambled eggs because they give it a really lovely oh. golden hue. Yep. Yeah. In medieval times, they used to dry them and sell them by the sackful of dried marigold petals as a saffron substitute. Oh. So stirred through rice and that sort of thing, because saffron was unattainable for most people. But marigolds, the calendula marigolds, grew really and healthy well. at the same and time, and really healthy. Yeah, <laughs> right. So they're fabulous plants, and, and they're just so cheerful in the garden too. So it's this is calendula thing. officinalis, not tajitis marigolds, mm. which are the yep. French or African marigolds. The calendulas have a more flatter, open flower, whereas the marigolds are more well the. Tajitis. Tajitis, mm. yeah. yeah. They've got a, some of them are more rounded yeah. flower. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you've been, you were writing about hibiscus, for instance, which is a completely edible flower as well. Yes, and I don't think until I did a little bit of research for that, because uh, I think you'd suggested hibiscus, and I knew that certain ones were, but I hadn't actually realised that they, that they all, all were. Yeah. And so that was, that was really interesting to me, actually. But the, uh, we often think about the hibiscus, uh, is it sabdurica? Sab- sabdifera, yeah. Sabdifera, yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, that's hibiscus tea is made from that gives it that really iridescent red colour. Mm. But, uh, yeah, you can use the petals in salads as well. So of, of other hibiscus. Not not so much the stamen, that little bit, you know. The, but the petals. Yeah, take the, the petals pe- You just off. use the petals. With the edible flower, is it mainly the petals that are the edible part or some of them um, can eat the whole uh, Look, it depends on the flower. With the borage flower, um, depending on how, how tolerant you are of the hairy back to it, you can mm. either pull the flower off the, off the, flower, off the individual mm. flower or you can... Um, eat the hairy back at the same time. <laughs> um, you, you, if you're talking about violets, I just put the whole flower in. 
but They're if, lovely, if yeah. you're talking about carnations, um, which or the whole Dianthus carnation family is edible as well, um, you would pull the petals out because they're too tough. Yeah, I mean, you can use it as a garnish, yeah. but to actually stir it through something, you'd need to just detach the petals. And daylilies are the same? Daylilies are the same. Yeah, just take yeah. the petals off. But you can't, the whole thing is edible, but the, 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 and the, the petals are really amazing, I love daylily actually. petals because yeah. they've I, actually got a crunch to them. They've got mm. a real texture. Ah. It's not this sort of ephemeral thing. Yeah, and the, and people get really quite amazed if you've got like a really big flower and you pull off a petal and say, "Here, you can eat this," and they think, "Wow, really?" <laughs> so it's that kind of fun factor yeah. to engage people as well. Yeah, but you do need to be sure that they're edible. Generally, if you if you have a a plant where the leaves are edible, then the flowers are going to be edible. That's a good rule. Um, so. Not always the seeds, so sometimes you might need to be a bit careful. But um, Well, actually, one really good, important native food, just because we've been talking native, about native food plants, chocolate lily, because people think, oh, it's chocolate, and the flower's scented, I want to eat the flower. And that actually, the flowers are edible as well as the tubers. Mm. But important, important to know, I read that recently, that bulbine lily, the flowers are not, not edible. edible. Not sure exactly what happens to you, but let's, let's say, do yeah. not eat the flowers yeah. of bulbine lily. <laughs> so people think, oh, it's all across, it's all the yeah. same because the plant's mm. edible, and the yeah. tuber is, but yes. yeah, not the yeah. flower apparently. Yeah, well, it's like elderberry. The elderberry yes. leaves are not edible. No, um, definitely not. But the, but the flowers are and the berries are. Although they're best to be cooked. Yeah, usually. you should cook yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, Or make champagne out of them. Yeah, yeah, fermented. Yeah. Let's continue this on the other side of a phone call. We've got uh, Jill from East Brighton um, waiting on the line. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, panel. Uh, a great show as usual. And, um, yes, look, I was just ringing up about pruning apricot trees because a neighbour has asked me to prune his mother's apricot. And I Googled it. I'm, I don't have uh, apricots myself. And it said winter pruning and I thought no that's not right and then no. I just heard no. you say better to do in summer to avoid gummosis yep. mm. is, that, is that right? Do it after you've harvested the fruit After you've harvested the yep. fruit right, and right yes. Not a heavy prune too it's more of a, a light prune with the apricots Right, right Yes, look, it's just that you know, some of the branches have gone up above the, the roof height of the house so yeah. I thought, yes, we'll have to the, take them in, back. In, in winter, um, take out, you can take out dead branches, yes, um, but yes, the but point is you don't want to go into the living wood because it takes too long to heal in winter. Um, you, yes. you, can you can actually also, disease. as an emergency, you can prune. I used to do this at bud burst. Yeah, so that's, that's when the sap's flowing. So that's yeah. another option. It's just that it's a really narrow window, and you don't always get it yeah. right. Yes, yeah. always no. And yes, I don't have ready access to the garden. You know, watching day by day. So, and and um, the lady's not a gardener, but she loves the fruit, and I don't want to bugger up her tree. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, but his dad can't come down. No, <laughs> but I know next weekend in Adelaide, my brother is picking up my dad to do. I don't think it's apricot pruning, but the, some of the. Plums, I think, that I've got. Okay. Um, and, cool. and he knows that sometimes, uh, so that's the latter stage of knowing when the blossom has happened to then know where the buds that are going to be mm. active. So you can still do a prune at that stage, which ties in when that little window mm. of when the sap's yes. flowing. That is expert level knowledge. I was mm. going to say, yes, when you've got that level of expertise, which is great. Yes, yes. Look, I would play it safe. I'll wait till after fruiting and yeah. explain that to them. Good yep. luck. Good on you, Jill. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks. Okay. Bye. See you. Bye. Uh, and we've had a text message come in to panel. 
Um, just wondering if you can recommend any fruit trees that would enjoy being grown on an east-facing wall. So morning sun. Yeah, yeah. most fruit trees would be happy doing that. Well, certainly apples and pears. If, uh, you, are they talking about espaliering them or just putting them in a pot or Doesn't on the ground say. on that wall? Doesn't say. Yeah. I, I would actually um, fi- um, fine-tune the apple a little bit more to say when you get less sun then the yellow or green apples are better. You don't get as good colour development because yeah. I've got such a shady garden so I've done yeah. a lot of shade okay. experimentation. So the red, maybe not red varieties as much. And also then don't forget all the other amazing things like strawberry guavas, tamarillos, mm. All of the berries grow really well with limited light, so but I'm recommending yep. always thornless ones. So thornless youngberry, thornless loganberry, thornless blackberry if you've got a big space, raspberries, all of those you'll get slightly less fruit if you don't have as much sun, but mm. then you don't get the horrific um, burning off of your mm. fruit if it just turns... I mean, it's not going to be a really hot summer, I don't think, this year, but, you know, it will be ultimately... And then you lose all, you, you could possibly lose all that fruit in one go. So it's a great um, safe yeah. bet to have all those. But like, east is a much grow. safer side than west. Yes, it's yeah, much yeah, harder to facing, find yeah. something on yeah. a yeah. west facing wall. Yeah, yeah. And key, yeah. uh, kiwi berry, if you can find the soft pollinating yep. isai one too. Yep. All right. Well, hopefully that's helpful, Kendall. Um, I think you were about to say something when we both no, started no, talking no, at the same time. Happy to have moved about on flowers. Thought. I was yeah. going to say, okay. keep going about edible, edible flowers. flowers. What are some more ornamental plants that we don't, people might not know, are, have edible flowers? Um, oh, what's it? Um, yeah, look, there's there's quite a few. One of the, one of the things you need to say is you should never eat plants you buy from florists, because so many of them are sprayed with a whole huge range of. You know, there's a lot more natural flower growing now than and flowers that you can source. Mm-hmm. Um, from nurseries where they don't use sprays and you know that they're okay. But um, if you have a given a bunch of standard carnations that have come from your local service station, the there mm, is yeah. no way I would be eating those no. because they generally come from overseas and they use all sorts of sprays mm. on them. So don't do that. But, um, yeah, look, it's it's mainly, the the as, I, as we mentioned before, the marigolds and the violets and... Um, hibiscus and I'm just trying to remember the name of that other plant that um, grows with a drooping flower with a quite a bit it looks a little bit like a hibiscus but the flowers droop a butylone yes mm, the Chinese Certainly. lanterns yes the Chinese, yeah. they're edible oh that's, what, yeah. oh, that's interesting I didn't so know I have a tree yes. I have a couple of trees mm-hmm. with those and I've gotten a butylone in my the, garden it's thanks the to a, a gift from yeah. someone years ago yeah. so now I know it's edible yeah. they're a popular gift plant they my mum and dad well. have one that was a gift as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. roses all the petals or, you can yes, dry obviously. them and yeah. put them I like, um, I've got a really lovely small rose of small petals and I dry the petals and you can put it over desserts or over breakfast bowls or. and I have a recipe for strawberry and rose petal jam beautiful which is amazing is this on your youtube channel (laughs) (laughs) no it's on my it's on my website excellent even better even better um but it's it it can you've got to use a deep red scented rose so that it matches with the with the strawberries Mm -hmm. and you get that flavor of that rose scent in with the the, um, strawberry it's gorgeous and what's your website 
pennywoodwood.com.au Excellent. Easy, so easy. <laughs> Just put um, strawberry and rose petal jam in and you'll find it. Yeah. And I've, I've got a similarly popular one, elder, elderflower wine. So yes. And if it drops off my website, I just chuck it back on again each year. And that's where I keep the recipe because I keep losing it and then I just <laughs> yes. look it up. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> and, and what's your website? Edibleeden.com.au yeah. Yeah. And, and the other one that people always want on my website is the rhubarb cake. Oh, Ooh. the famous rhubarb which cake, is, yes. Which is yeah. just <laughs> fabulous because it's such an easy cake to make and you don't cook the rhubarb first. You just chop it up Ooh. and you throw it all in together and shove it in That's the oven. That's a recipe and that I like. it is yeah. just <laughs> fabulous. So, again, if you go to my website and just put rhubarb cake in, you'll find it. Easy. Stephen, yes. how can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> What's your address? I don't, <laughs> I don't have a website, but... <laughs> no. Happy to support Insta- everyone. Give us your Instagram so people can find you. Um, I'm Stephen Wells, the gardener. And you can see photos of Stephen's feet when he's sitting in his outside bath every now and then. <laughs> that season's about to start again. Wonderful. Wonderful. We are running out of time, but Stephen, I do love following your Instagram because gardening in small spaces is another thing. Therapeutic gardening is one thing, but gardening in a small space is something you do and maximising that space. Yes, um, which is fun. So just quickly, um, I live in a two-bedroom unit, so therefore it has a small outdoor space. However, that being said, the I'm very fortunate it's an older-style unit, so it actually has a bigger outdoor space than the size of the unit. But I have done a lot to maximise the little pockets of spaces that I've got. Mm. Um, and it's it's actually a really creative thing to do. Um, you can do a lot in a small space, mm, yeah. whether that's um, for purely recreational um, relaxation use or whether it's edibles. Um, you can fit a lot into small spaces. And it doesn't have to be either or. Correct. No. I mean, you can mix them all up. You Absolutely. don't, you know, you there can no have more and more I'm planting edibles and spaces and I'm putting non-edibles in with my veggies. Yep. And well, now that I know my butylon's edible, I'm yeah. Yeah. super excited. You were doing it already. <laughs> And um, the other thing I'm doing is making sure I plant um, the other marigolds, the Tajitis marigolds, with my tomatoes this year because they help with all sorts of things, but especially white fly. And there's actually concrete research that shows that how well they work. So I'm putting marigolds and basil in with my tomatoes. Beautiful. Well, thank you all for your time this morning. Thanks to Penny, Stephen and Karen for coming in. Thank you to Michaela and AB for looking after the phones and keeping me in line. And a big thank you to Liz for doing our socials and Karina for doing our podcast. We wouldn't be able to function without the people behind the scenes. So thank you very much. Have a lovely Sunday, listeners, and we'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7.30. See you later.